0: Hello, and welcome to The Dirt, a podcast about archaeology, anthropology, and our shared human past. I'm Anna.
1: And I'm Amber. And this week, we're finishing up our whirlwind tour of human evolution with an exploration of the genus Homo, of which we are all card-carrying members. We did it. We made it.
0: Sort of. But first, we have a corrections corner. Last week, we left out Australopithecus sediba.
1: (laughs) Oh, I thought it was going to be I didn't actually meet an extinct hominin. (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, you didn't, actually. You met someone with a pointy head, but... Okay. Well... Oh, well. <laughs> Sorry, dude. Someday. No, but we... <laughs> someday. But we left out a member of the Australopithecus genus, um, but that's okay, because Australopithecus sediba was around right at the time that the homo genus was evolving, so it's a great segue.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Was that the noise of an Australopithecus on a segue? Yeah. <laughs> So Australopithecus sediba lived around 1.7 to 1.98 million years ago. So pretty short span of time in the grand scheme of things. And we have fossils of this species from southern Africa from a site called Malapa Cave. And the fossil skeletons of sediba from Malapa Cave are so complete that scientists can see what entire skeletons look like near the time when the genus Homo first started to evolve. So we've got details of the teeth, arms and legs. Things like this and also the sort of narrow upper chest resemble earlier australopithecines, but some of the rest of the teeth and sort of a broad lower chest resemble humans. And this is interesting. Measurements of the strength of the humerus and femur show that Australopithecus sediba had a more human-like pattern of locomotion than a fossil attributed to Homo habilis, who we'll get to very soon. And these features suggest that Australopithecus sediba walked upright on a regular basis. And so changes in the pelvis occurred before changes in the body that are found in later specimens of the genus Homo. So this combination of primitive and derived traits in Australopithecus sediba shows part of this transition from a form adapted to living in trees to one primarily adapted to bipedal walking. But they had butts.
1: (laughs) they sure did I wanted to (laughs) I found an article about why humans have butts oh yeah? yeah I mean, that, is it that's for balance? Actually, that's actually the thing that I, like, forgot that I wanted to contribute to this episode. Dig that up,
0: because I want to know. Okay. Um, no, the, the the super interesting thing about Australopithecus sediba's walking is that the legs and feet point to a previously unknown way of walking upright. So with, when Australopithecus sediba stepped, it turned its foot inward with its weight focused on the outer edge of the foot. So kind of weirdly pigeon-toed. So this might mean that different species of hominin developed different ways of upright walking. So there's more than one path to upright walking over the course of human evolution. Because this, this foot orientation is totally different from anything else that we've seen. Isn't that weird? It is weird. Okay, tell me why we have butts.
1: Now I want you to please click on that link. <laughs> Look at this, the headers. Muscle
0: butts. Fat butts.
1: Well, I guess we can yeah, look to we're that. we're some of the fattest primates around.
0: In our butts. We've got junk in that trunk.
1: Although the fat-tailed dwarf lemur is thicker than we. Uh,
0: let me just read this paragraph. Human, okay. butts, human butts are pretty special. Modern society makes a good deal of fuss about the size of people's butts, but big or small, yours is almost guaranteed to be larger than that of any non-human primate. Gorillas are pretty flat back there, and the only way a chimp could break the internet is if it were let loose in one of Google's server farms.
1: This Mm. is my contribution to this episode. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, So
0: basically, uh, because of our evolution as bipeds, we've got big butt muscles, and also we have fat deposits back there, and no one really knows why.
1: I guess it's a convenient place to put them. Yeah. Yeah. But regardless of what happens, sit down and consider your butt with pride. It turns out to be a rather big part of what makes you human. Human butts.
0: Great. We got that sorted out.
1: So so what's up next? Do we have more Australopithecus?
0: Nope. We are That's into it? the
1: genus Homo. So I have a question. I have a question. Yes. Tired Australopithecus. Wired Homo. What? What? Tired versus wired? Oh, God. The internet. I'm not... Get with it. With it. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, maybe I could... Can you Old put and that, busted, <laughs> Australopithecus, new hotness, Homo. Uh-huh. Why, what makes Homo so different from Australopithecus that it gets its own genus? Like, who's making the rules? Like, well,
0: those are two separate questions. So, the like, <laughs> in terms of naming a species, basically, when you find what you think is a type specimen for a new species, you have to submit it, and there's a process by which it it is decided that, yeah, that's a new thing and it gets a name. But, um, in terms of what makes Homo different from Australopith and everyone else who came before, um, there are a few major characteristics that we're going to touch on for each of these species that we're going to talk about. So one of those things is increasing brain size. We have big brains. Australopiths have quite small brains. Um, we use tools in a way that the other hominins did not. And we sort of Perfected the whole bipedal walking thing,
1: and so somewhere in there, it tipped tipped the scales into where it's no longer a different species; it's another genus. Mm -hmm. Okay, I guess I'm just trying to figure out like what quantif, like what is genus making. I think is it like there's a suite of characteristics, or is it just like no way this is way too not an Australopithecus.
0: I think it's probably both of those things. Okay, yeah. Okay, so first up is Homo habilis. And that translates to handyman. He had a tool belt. Oh, no. Well, tools are going to come into it. So uh, Homo habilis lived between 2.4 and 1.4 million years ago. And the first specimen was found by the Leakeys at Olduvai Gorge. Additional fossils of Homo habilis have been found in southern Africa. In its appearance and in the way the body is structured, Homo habilis is the least similar to modern humans of all the species in the genus Homo, which you'd expect because it's the farthest back chronologically towards australopiths. So Homo habilis was pretty short and had disproportionately long arms compared with modern humans, but the face morphology, the shape of the face, is less protruding than the australopithecines. So it probably descended from australopithecines but evolved with these very different facial characteristics. Its cranial capacity was less than half the size of modern humans, so we're still in the territory of of smallish brain. And the reason that Homo habilis has that name, Handyman, is because fossil remains are often accompanied by primitive stone tools. This is the stone tool type called Oldowan, which is named after Olduvai Gorge. And so these are basically stone chunks. like They're they're cores of stone with pieces chipped off to make the stones have a cutting edge. But even that crude tool is is much more advanced than any any tools we have evidence for earlier. And so this really gives Homo habilis an edge, literally, um, to deal okay. with hostile environments that were previously inaccessible to other primates. We're not positive that Homo habilis was the first hominid to master stone tool technology because there are stone tool implements, maybe, that were found along with Australopithecus gari. Remember that one? australopithecus surprise
1: yeah yeah so yeah, that's yeah.
0: that's like almost two hundred thousand years older than homo habilis so it's not definitive whether that is the first stone tool use or whether homo habilis is the first sort of um systematic stone tool use but either way this is the point at which members of the genus homo from this point onward always use stone tools
1: i found more stuff about butts including a science video involving john cena well This episode's about butts now. (laughs) Welcome to The Dirt, a podcast about butts.
0: You can't give up yet. We're
1: only one species in. Okay. So Homo habilis is called Homo habilis because of the tools?
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So next up is Homo erectus, and this one's really confusing. So here we go. Well, because Homo erectus was around for a really long time, um, it's one point nine million years ago to two hundred thousand years ago. So all of a sudden oh, we, jump, a really we jump time. into the two hundred into the hundred thousands, and because they were around for so long, they the population expanded to lots of different places. So this is the first instance that we see of major expansion from northern, eastern, and western Africa to Europe, um, specifically a site uh, in Georgia called Dmanisi and Asia and Indonesia. And so the classification ancestry and progeny, so meaning the species that came out of Homo erectus, remains controversial. So there are two major classifications um, that are sort of in opposition to one another and that people debate about. So first is that Homo erectus might be Another name for a species called Homo ergaster, which is a designation given to some of the oldest African fossils in this group that are the direct ancestors of later hominids that bopped around Europe, like Homo heidelbergensis, Neanderthals, and Homo sapiens. So possibility one is that there's this much, much older species called Homo ergaster, but maybe it's just another version of
1: erectus. Why is it called Homo erectus? Because it's
0: the when it was named, it was the first known um, member of the genus to fully stand upright. It had the physical characteristics okay. of of someone walking upright. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Hmm. Um. So possibility two is that Homo erectus might be a species completely distinct from the African Homo ergaster, and it may have originated uh, in Asia. So in other words, Homo ergaster might be the African variety of Homo erectus. So they were similar species that just kind of co-evolved in different places, and then the African one stayed put, and then the Asian species kind of made its way back into Africa. And so that's why we see these two similar but kind of distinct Ergaster and Erectus. So there's variation in the size and shape of different fossils found in these big, like majorly separated regions. So, you know, you have Homo erectus from Europe, from Northern Africa, from Indonesia. And so this is an instance where we don't know if the variation is within a population or if it's enough variation in these different places to mean
1: a different species altogether. Okay. Um, is there a is there a more popular like is one like a commonly held and the other is a fringe view or is this actually like are most people sort of ambivalent about it? I don't they're, think they're people like, are well, ambivalent. I think I think okay. there's definitely a debate, and I think okay. the
0: more commonly held um, theory right now is that um, Erectus is another name for Ergaster, and that okay. that both of these species. Uh, did their evolving in Africa and then later spread outwards, and then were still Homo erectus, but in these different places evolved to sort of fit their in their own environmental pressures, and so they're in the same species, but they are morphologically quite different in some some instances. Okay. Uh, yeah. So in terms of their appearance, ergaster, the early African Homo erectus fossils. So this is that that's the That's the side of the debate that I'm coming down on, just for simplicity of (laughs) explaining one thing rather than two simultaneous things. So African Homo erectus fossils are the oldest known early humans to have had modern human-like body proportions. So they've got pretty elongated legs and shorter arms compared to the size of the torso. So this is the first instance of a body type that is, like I said, directly related to not living in trees but walking along on the ground. So we so got
1: short arms, like raptors? Not short arms,
0: shorter in proportion. Uh, so Homo habilis right. had longer arms in proportion. Homo erectus has got relatively the proportions that we've got. Okay. Um, so also compared with earlier fossil humans, there is an expanded brain case relative to the size of the face. So what's happening between... Homo habilis and Homo erectus is that our our face, well, it's becoming our face, but the face is getting flatter, smaller, the teeth are getting smaller, um, and the cranium, the brain case, the actual part of the skull that holds the brain is getting bigger because our brains are getting bigger. The most complete fossil individual of homo erectus that we have is known as the Turkana boy. So it was a skeleton found in the Turkana basin and it's well preserved except it doesn't really have any of the hand and foot bones and it dates to around 1.6 million years ago. Um, and this is cool. They did a study of the teeth and a microscopic study showing how and at what rate the teeth grew. And it looks like Turkana boy grew up at a growth rate similar to that of a great ape. Um, There's fossil evidence uh, uh, for Homo erectus that indicates that the species cared for older or weaker individuals. And this is, remember you asked me, like, when do we first see sort of culture or social behavior? um, Yeah. And do we see that? I think this is maybe the first point where we are able to not just extrapolate and say, okay, well, ape species do this, so maybe this species did this. We have actual fossil evidence of... Um, individuals that had injuries or had sort of infirmities that were that survived past them um, or with them and so mm-hmm. must have been cared for And so that's this is the first place where we we have actual evidence of social behavior. This is, Also where we see, with Homo erectus, we see what's called the Acheulean tool technology. So these stone tools are slightly more complex than the chunky Oldowan tools. They take a little bit more time to make, but they're also more effective for a lot of tasks. And like the Oldowan tools, Acheulean tools are core tools, which means that to make one, you take um, a chunk of stone and you knock pieces off of it and then you use that the, the core still. So you're trying to shape the core into a tool that you want. Later tool technologies use the flakes. So you chunk off a flake and then you, you put the core aside and you modify the flake. But these tools, okay. the Acheulean tools, use the core. We also have evidence that suggests that Homo erectus might have used fire to cook food, which would have done all sorts of things for them. And it also means that if, if they were using fire, they'd also have Have it for other things like warmth and light and scaring away predators. So
1: evidence like what, like,
0: like, like a fossilized burned wood,
1: like a. Okay, so Mm -hmm. okay, so we have evidence that uh, we have evidence of burning, but specifically, like, like, did they start fires? No, there's no evidence. No, it's fires. It's
0: evidence of use and possibly control of fire, not of making fire. Something.
1: This is something you definitely know about <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> about use versus make.
0: Yeah. No, this would this fire. would have
1: been using like fire like a light like lightning? Yeah, or... lightning strike
0: or however else the fire would have started. I think
1: that's pretty much magnifying glasses. Yeah. Mhm. Zippos. Mhm.
0: Okay. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, okay. but they were only using it. Someone else had the Zippo. Okay.
1: okay. So you're like, here
0: you go, buddy. Yep. This Australopithecus right. comes up to someone. Got a light. Hey, that's not what happened. Just let's cover our butts. Like we—that's for sure not what happened. Hey, but
1: speaking of butts,
0: yeah, butts. do you got more about butts?
1: No, I put it aside. Okay, well we can.
0: There's going to be like a separate section of show notes. It's like if you want to read more about butts.
1: Oh, don't worry. Here's Amber working
0: on that. Here's Amber's butt corner. Can I get yeah, back to yeah, Homo erectus, yes. please? Okay. Yeah. So I, one <laughs> one last thing to finish up Homo erectus. We also see two other big trends of. Quote humanness with Homo erectus, which is that bigger brain that I mentioned. So it's about twice the size of an Australopiths at this point. And, and we I have also, a question about that. Okay. And we also see smaller teeth and a smaller gut, which, and by gut, I don't mean like they had less of a beer belly. It's that evidence that their intestines were shorter in length, which means that they probably weren't processing foods that needed a lot of digestion to get the nutrients out of. So they were probably eating better, softer, more nutrient-dense foods. And if they were cooking their food, that is sort of an external digestion. Uh, Cooking does things that digestion does, so your body doesn't have to do that part. And so their diets were better. Okay, what was your
1: question about brains? How does the brain get bigger? Like I understand the sort of like functional aspects, like functional traits that Mm -hmm. would be um, advantageous and then sort of selected for over mm-hmm. time. But how does that happen with brain size? You like, feed it more. I know that there's... Yeah. To get big and strong, that brain needs food. And so if this is, I mean,
0: there are a lot of hypotheses about why the human brain has gotten bigger over time and why it was able to do that. Because it's
1: bigger and then also more f- like folded. There's more folds. Yeah. I think the surface area, the total surface area has increased. Yeah. And I think those are two
0: separate evolutionary things, but they they feed into each other. And one of the things that let that happen was that the diet improved. However that happened, whether it was because of the use of fire or along with the use of fire, the, the human gut became adapted for digesting different things. In any case, the brain is the most energetically costly part of your body. Um, unless you're pregnant and then it's it's that baby. But yeah, your brain takes a lot of energy, a lot of calories, and a lot of nutrients. And so if your diet is better, you can evolve a larger brain. There's probably a lot of mechanisms that fed into that, but one of, one of the big ones is, is diet change.
1: Okay. Okay, thank you.
0: Uh-huh. Next up, we have Homo heidelbergensis, which we find in Europe and also eastern and southern africa and possibly asia and these guys lived between 700,000 and 200,000 years ago and we have more of this flattening of the face with homo hyalobriensis. so flatter face and larger brain case than earlier species but also a very large brow ridge big old eyebrows um it
1: was this Is was the f- for for like muscles to attach i'm not Is actually it the same sure thing as this like
0: I don't know the functionality of it. Part of it was probably like protection, you know. Oh, yeah. Like protect those eyes they fell
1: down a lot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Cannot confirm, but yeah, no. Just one of the one of the um, traits of Homo heidelbergensis is this very defined. It's called the supraorbital torus, the lump of bone directly above your your eye sockets, and it's very pronounced in this species. Heidelbergensis was. Also probably the first early human species to live in chillier climates. and so they have these short, wide bodies that were likely an adaptation to conserving heat. and short-ish, it's not that short. so the uh, based on the skeletal evidence that we have, the average male would have been around five nine the and a female would have been around five two. It's my mom's height. Um I also, some of this information that I took from for this research was from a great site from the Bradshaw Foundation, but um, the Bradshaw Foundation thinks that Heidelbergensis was seven feet tall, and that's for sure wrong. So I don't. <laughs> I found it on the web page, and I was like,
1: "No, was it, was it somebody trying to like convert from metric? And I don't they know. Like did it wrong? Yeah. Was oh, this or the new a job of that person that got fired by Na- by NASA?" I don't know. They were like, no, we did it again. Oh, no. (laughs) And uh, and, a hominin
0: crashed into Mars. (laughs) No. No, I don't. I have no idea why that error was there because otherwise the information was really good. But uh, (laughs) they were for sure not seven feet tall. So Heidelbergensis, again, probably was able to control fire probably used wooden spears, and we know from the faunal evidence was the first early human species to routinely hunt large animals. We also have evidence that this was the first species that we know of to build shelters. So they they, they would use natural shelters like caves and stuff, but they would also modify them using wood and rock. And this species, Heidelbergensis, is still using that Acheulean toolkit. The evidence that we have for Homo heidelbergensis controlling fire uh, is that we have hearths, so early fireplaces, and we have those um, by around 790,000 years ago in the form of uh, burnt wood and also stone tools that have been altered by fire. So if you heat flint or chert or most rocks to a high enough heat, the the heat will alter them in some way, whether it's altering their internal structure or also just like it can cause chunks of rock to like pop off the the stone like if you heat a stone right. too fast in a campfire, it can explode. So don't do that. Right. But, um, but yeah, you can see that archaeologically. And this is at the site of Gesher Benet Yaakov in Israel. And so it's likely that these groups had hearths that they would gather around as as social groups. So that's neat. The evidence that we have for building shelters comes from the site of Terra Amata in France. And so it's just um, evidence that they were modifying existing shelters with wood and rocks. Um, And we've got remains of animals such as wild deer, horses, elephants, hippos, and rhinos with butchery marks on their bone. And those have been found with Homo heidelbergensis fossils, indicating that that they were hunting these species. There's also um, these 400,000-year-old wooden spears, question mark, um, that were found at the site of Schöningen in Germany, along with the remains of more than 10 butchered horses. And this site is really cool. Because, first of all, they may not have been spears. There are a few things that they might have been. They may have been spears. Also, this site is up for debate. It may not be, but it may be a site of meat caching. Mm-hmm. It may be an instance of um, Heidelbergensis hunting and butchering horses, but then leaving. This is, The site is at the side of a lake. And so they may mm-hmm. have left the remains underwater or buried sort of in the shallows of the lake. For right. storage to come back to later. There's there's no confirmation of that, but it's a really cool hypothesis. And there's there's one site in Atapuerca, which is in northern Spain, and it dates to about four hundred thousand years ago. That shows evidence of what may be human ritual. Archaeologists found bones of roughly thirty Homo heidelbergensis individuals deliberately thrown into a pit. And this ah. is yeah, it's a deep pit inside a cave. It's called Cima de los huesos, um, Pit of the Bones. Um, and so alongside the skeletal remains, the uh, excavators uncovered a single well-made symmetrical hand axe. So this is a shape of tool that the Acheulean Toolkit is famous for. It's that sort of leaf-shaped, uh, double-sided hand axe. It's, it's a hand tool that you could use for cutting or chopping or poking. And and this particular example of it was, was very well-made and was with Homo heidelbergensis fossils. How'd they get in that pit? They were put there. Did they f- did
1: They fall in?
0: No, no. The idea is that it was a burial pit, that this is where Homo heidelbergensis put their dead.
1: Okay. Well, I guess deliberately thrown. Th- they were dead. The I,
0: I think, yes, sorry. I think these individuals were dead when they were put into the pit.
1: Okay. So they weren't thrown into a pit, like like a sacrifice of some kind.
0: Your mind jumped to that. No, I just meant, I did say human ritual and I didn't say burial. So I can see where you would and have you done you did that. say
1: deliberately thrown. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let me clarify. These what? are well, thought like, to have been burials.
1: Oh, like, oh, what, what's, what are the plans for the funeral? Well, we're having the, the visitation. And then at one, we're going to go over to the cemetery to throw her in. <laughs> like, that's I mean, that's not not what happens. It's just <laughs>
0: sort of slowly and with more dignity. <laughs> people still people still put other people in holes when they die you know so in terms of the ancestor and progeny of heidelbergensis it's still a matter of debate on one side. We don't know if Homo erectus or Homo ergaster was an ancestor to Homo heidelbergensis. But on the other end of the family timeline, comparisons of Neanderthal and modern human DNA suggest that the two lineages diverged from a common ancestor, which was most likely heidelbergensis, sometime between 350,000 and 400,000 years ago. So after that split, the European branch of Heidelbergensis led to Neanderthals, and then the the populations that stayed in Africa evolved gradually into Homo sapiens.
1: Okay, well, next. Next up it's Neanderthals. Yay! Ah, your friend and mine. Yay! You're going to you're going to post that selfie I took with my Neanderthal friend, right? Of course. Okay, from as a different as, party.
0: As long as you send it to me. I could go on and on about Neanderthals. I'm not going to do that. But also, you could check out the episode of AnthroDish on which I was a guest speaker, um, where I do talk about Neanderthals for like an hour. It was great. If you are interested in specifically my research into Neanderthals, go over to AnthroDish and also check out AnthroDish in general because it's a good podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It is. So I'm just going to do I'm going to do a rundown. I'm not going to I'm not going to linger on Neanderthals compared to the early humans living in tropical Africa with sort of abundant edible plant foods available most of the time, um, Neanderthals wouldn't have had access to a lot of plant foods seasonally. So during the winter and during colder climates, um, they would have been forced to exploit other food options. And so they had a pretty heavily meat centric diet. Um, there is evidence that Neanderthals were specialized seasonal hunters in some cases. So, um, Based on when animals migrated past certain areas, they would exploit those animals. But also, Neanderthals lived in lots of different regions and climates, and so go figure, their food varied in accordance with what was around them. So there's evidence from Neanderthal sites in Gibraltar that when they lived in coastal areas, they exploited marine resources like mollusks and seals and dolphins and fish. There have been analyses of the chemical isotopes in Neanderthal bones that tell scientists that the average Neanderthal diet did consist of a lot of meat, but scientists have also found plaque on the remains of Neanderthal molars that contain starch grains, which is concrete evidence that Neanderthals put starches in their mouth, i.e. they ate plants. Um, Neanderthals are associated with a new stone tool industry. New hotness, is that what the kids say?
1: Yeah, old and busted. Acheulean. New, New hotness. hotness. Mysterian. Okay, Acheelian. I'm learning.
0: I'm learning how to be cool. Okay. Um so like I mentioned before when when we talked about core versus flake technologies, the Mysterian stone tool industry is a flake technology, meaning that you uh, prepare the core. So you to do this, you have to know what you're doing. You have to have an idea of what tool shape you want beforehand, and that's a that's a big jump from Like especially from the Oldowan, but even from the Acheulean. So you prepare the core so that when you hit the core in a certain way, a flake of a certain size and shape will detach. And if you've been doing it long enough, you can you can do it. You know, sort of instinctively. I've I've seen people who are good at flint napping, and it's really really cool to watch. Um, Yeah, we'll have to
1: put a video. We'll have to put a video up. It's not a Neanderthal doing it.
0: No, don't have those, but... um, A
1: homo sapiens.
0: No, homo sapiens doing it in the style of Neanderthal. And uh, it's really cool (laughs) to watch. Um, uh, (laughs) That
1: sounds like jazz. I know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Scooby-dee-bop-bop tool. And Neanderthals used these stone tools and also tools made of other materials like bone and probably wood um, for activities like hunting and even sewing. So we know from skeletal studies... uh, and left-right arm asymmetry that they hunted with thrusting rather than throwing spears. So basically what this tells us, so as you use your muscles over and over, uh, as you build muscles from doing different activities, your bone changes along with the muscle because the muscles attach to your bone and the places where your muscles attach change. And so you can look at a skeleton and figure out which ways they used their various limbs most frequently. And so we know from Neanderthal skeletons that they used their spears for thrusting rather than throwing. It was an underhand thrusting motion rather than overhand throwing. And so, so could
1: you tell were some right-handed and some left-handed? Can I'm you tell sh- things like that? I don't that? know that.
0: I didn't look that I didn't look into okay. it that in that much detail. But is that
1: something that you can tell like mm-hmm. on like Homo sapiens? You can tell if people have. Mm-hmm. left or right dominant oh
0: as long as they were doing things with their dominant hand it like enough strenuous things with that side right that would because like if you're clicking a mouse with your right hand rather than your left hand that's not going to cause skeletal oh. change sorry bud
1: oh that's okay <laughs> that's
0: fine you just have to, you're gonna have to like leave a written record of your handedness i guess okay Okay. Um, but this is really cool and, you know, kind of sad if, if given a certain level of empathy. But Neanderthal bones have a high frequency of fractures and the frequency along with the distribution of these fractures are similar to injuries among professional rodeo riders. And so we can assume from that that they were um, encountering large, dangerous animals on a pretty regular basis. And that has an, that links up with the thrusting spears because if you throw a spear your your prey is at a relatively safer distance from you. Right. But if you've got a thrusting spear, even if it's a long spear, you are coming right up against your prey. And if your prey is a large buffalo or a mammoth or a woolly rhino, uh, you have you are putting yourself in a position to get quite damaged. Along with those thrusting spears, we know that Neanderthals ha- used stone scrapers and awls. Um, so not owls, awls. Uh, like sewing needle kind of that you'd punch a hole in the hide and then you'd be able to thread. So it's not necessarily a needle because you can, you thread a needle and you take the thread along with it. With an awl, you punch holes and then you uh, thread things by hand. And so um, we don't know for sure. We we think Neanderthals probably wore clothes um, be, based on these tools because you've got scrapers to clean a hide. You've got bone smoother tools to soften the hide, to get it ready for working. And then you've got these awls to punch holes. So the theory is that mm, Neanderthals probably wore clothes. Um, We don't know if like how they prepared the clothes, whether they sort of tied hides around themselves or we don't really know. It's only with Homo sapiens that we really see deliberate, you know, sewing and fitting of garments. Um, And
1: that would have been like to stay warm. Yeah. Yeah. It's cold there. Okay. Just like to stay warm. I have no idea. I don't know anything about shame among uh, Neanderthals.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't think they were particularly ashamed of their own forms, and I have no idea (laughs) of their sort of sartorial fashion inclinations. I can't tell you about that. Sorry. We also know that Neanderthals controlled fire, lived in shelters, and occasionally made symbolic or ornamental objects. So we have some um, shells that have been made into – they have holes in them for – stringing somewhere and they've been decorated with ochre things like that. There's also evidence that Neanderthals may have buried their dead, although I worked with a team that um, published some stuff that directly confronted that evidence and refuted it, so
1: still don't know. So they but may or may not have have thrown their dead into somewhere. a pit. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Okay. We don't know.
0: But we also know <laughs> that Neanderthals were very, very close to humans. They are technically a human subspecies. because, And we know that because we have Homo sapiens has Neanderthal DNA in, in a big part of the population. If you are of European or Asian descent, you probably have a small percentage of Neanderthal DNA. And so we were close enough to successfully interbreed, which means that we were very close indeed.
1: But presumably there were... Other combinations of species that did not successfully breed.
0: Well, if they didn't, I don't know about it because
1: No, but it's... like but I no, I'm not asking you to like prove a <laughs> negative, but like it's not it probably is a case where it's not for lack of trying. Yeah, probably. Sure. Yeah, okay. I mean it's not a hill I wanna die on, but sure, probably. It's not a pit you want to be thrown into. <laughs> nope. <laughs> okay, okay. Let's
0: take a quick trip pretty far afield, and talk about Homo floresiensis again. And I say again because we already did an episode (laughs) all about our friend Flo, and you can go listen to that episode in our increasingly large back catalog. (laughs) I know! Homo floresiensis lived between 100,000 and 50,000 years ago on the island of Flores in Indonesia. There is no other evidence for Homo floresiensis anywhere else, just on that little island. Um, The first specimen was found by a joint indonesian and australian research team and called lb1 so this was the the nearly complete female skeleton of a very diminutive human that lived about eighty thousand years ago and this was in liangboa cave on the island of flores and the skeleton had really unique traits had a very small body small brain size and at first scientists thought okay this is homo sapiens but with some sort of pathology or like dwarfism or something like that but Eventually, um, it was realized that this was a new species and it was named Homo floresiensis after the island. So since the initial find, bones and teeth representing as many as 12 floresiensis individuals have been recovered at Liangbois, and this is the only site on the only island where Homo floresiensis has been found so far. So most of these finds date between 100 and 60,000 years ago and there are stone tools on the island dating between 190,000 and 50,000 years ago. So this is quite a small individual. So that female skeleton th- that they initially found, they took a, a height and weight estimate. It, they would have stood, or she would have stood, because it's a female skeleton, around 3 foot 6 inches tall, and weighed around 66 pounds, so 106 centimeters, 30 kilograms. Nobody knows how early humans, you know, if it was Homo floresiensis that evolved first and then got to Flores, or an earlier species got to Flores and then evolved into Homo floresiensis. Either way, we don't know because we have no idea how they got to that island because the nearest island where where people could have originated is 9 kilometers or 6 miles away across really dangerous seas. It may have been sort of like a a floating island situation, a vegetation mat. We
1: don't really know. I have a question. Okay. So they're smaller. They're smaller. And they've got smaller brains. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Are you going to say, were they less smart?
1: Yeah. Well, really, like, my question is, how did that hobbit get all the way to Mordor (laughs) if it's got a tiny brain? But then I'm like, Amber, like, Tolkien didn't know much about that. But, yeah, so they're smaller so they have smaller brains. Uh-huh. So would there be like a um, like a well, ceiling have- to their development? That's a really good question. I don't think it's
0: one that I'm equipped to answer. But, I mean, we have evidence of the things that they were able to do. So they were able to survive on this island with these limited resources. And that, that may be one reason why they were so small. Because things on islands, uh, species on islands, rather tend to either be quite big or quite small. Um, so mm-hmm. animals that are large on the mainland tend to get smaller on on islands. And that's true. There, There's a, an extinct type of little dwarf elephant that Homo floresiensis would have lived with and hunted. But small animals that on the mainland would have stayed small, like rats, on Flores are quite big, like Jack Russell terrier sized. And we have some evidence that floresiensis may have hunted those as well. So they were quite capable of making stone tools, making fire, doing hunting, doing all the things that, that earlier species of human were doing. As far as I know, there's no evidence for them doing things like Neanderthals are doing in terms of like symbolism or art or adornment or, you know, it is really hard to get any sense of their social behavior or their sort of cultural constructs. I don't, there's no evidence. So okay. I, I don't really know.
1: So what, what's next? Guess what? Anything I've heard it. what? We did
0: it. We made it to Homo sapiens. Where are they? Everywhere. Oh. Yeah, we're everywhere. So we, we started around <laughs> 300,000 years ago
1: in Africa, and now we're on every continent. So 300,000 years ago, yep. we started doing human things? We started having
0: human morphological physical characteristics, and we started doing human things. Yep, yep. So, Okay. So, so I mean, we're going to have other episodes where we go into a lot more detail about groups of humans doing human things in different times and places. And it's because we have evolved to do so are you, many... Are you
1: pitching our show to us?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you heard of our podcast? Um, no. The, the, the point I want to make is that humans, homo sapiens, has evolved so rapidly to do so many different things in a relatively short space of time, you know, co- in comparison to these other species that we've been talking about, that the the complexity and the number of things that there are to talk about are just it's too much. So here I'm just going to talk about sort of the general trends that these other hominins, you know, the progression of bipedality and the and the face shape and the brain size. I'm going to talk about how those relate to Homo sapiens and a little bit about homo, how Homo sapiens population expansion worked, and then we're gonna save sort of the individual stories of different populations for for their own episodes to to do them justice.
1: Okay, well, I guess I'm just still kind of um, hung up on these ideas of you've got not humans and then you've got humans like mm-hmm. homo sapiens and then not homo sapiens. And it's so it's like suddenly like somebody like flipped a switch and suddenly we're, no no, 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 know, no we've no. got societies. And so I know that, that it, that's, but I think that this is one of those, uh, these last vestiges of the kind of rudimentary education that I had about human evolution or just sort of how humans are. Like the sorts of, of things that, like those transitional periods that that you don't learn about because it's right. hard to teach something that's transitional when you're kind of teaching to the end of having people like fill out timelines and maps and, and things like on exams, yeah, like it's, yeah, it's yeah. more qualitative. And mm-hmm. so I guess like my question is like, there's no switch are you that qualitatively flipped. a human, <laughs> a homo sapien. Like, well, genetically
0: you are a homo sapiens. Like ultimately you can define our species by our, by our genes and genes don't necessarily determine behavior you know, in in a sense, these two things are feedback loops that inform one another. But Homo sapiens is a genetic designation. And Neanderthals have a different genome than we do. Heidelbergensis has a different genome than we do. And it's not an instance of a switch flipping. It's a gradual evolution that, you know, our modern human population may have slightly different genes than the early African Homo sapiens. But It's close enough that it's lumped into the same species. In terms of characteristics, yeah, a certain set of characteristics makes up Homo sapiens, but it's not just that. Right. Yeah, it's very difficult to assess these things qualitatively. It's very difficult to just assign characteristics and say, okay, if you have X, Y, and Z, then you're Homo sapiens. I think it's better to think about it as if you are Homo sapiens, you may be associated with the following list of traits. Yeah, okay. So think okay. about it that way. It's because a series. Thinking about it very
1: quantitatively, it seems like a really great way to set a precedent for like racism. racism. yeah. So like it becomes like the sort of because that's kind of how the eugenics and phrenology yeah. and like these topics of like racial classification grew up in the same the same environment as mm-hmm. study of of human evolution, like as it all originated. Yeah. And so
0: there's got to be
1: a way. To... There's gotta be a better way. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that better way is, is with the advent of, of the
0: Human Genome Project and being able yeah. to sequence the human genome and the Neanderthal genome. So evolution is a series of environmental pressures that result in genetic change and and lots of other things feeding into genetic change over time it may be random mutation it may be cataclysmic events that wipe out a big chunk of a population but evolution isn't towards anything it is in response to things and right. so homo sapiens okay. arose in response to this series of random changes and environmental pressures and interbreedings that happen along this whole course of human evolution, and so, as a result of that evolution, we can do all the things that make us human. Right? Is that is that a helpful way to to put it?
1: Yeah. No, I think that's a like that's a much better way to conceptualize it. Okay. Because it is. Yeah. Because like, yeah, and there's I think no it's so, important like important to like reinforce that like we aren't working towards something like we aren't we haven't been evolving to like being upper middle class white guys in america like that's not no like the no <laughs> that's not we the sure have and also <laughs> like
0: in terms of viewing humans like we are one species there is no such thing right. as race race is not a thing we are homo sapiens that's it
1: biologically yes <laughs>
0: Race oh yeah, yeah. yeah. In terms of cultural perception, race is a very real thing, and yeah, I don't, no, I don't Anna, mean to Anna discount didn't take that. Like
1: an all lives matter, like no, like no, 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 weird no, one, no. Sorry, <laughs> I was trying
0: to take a biological turn. You
1: just became like everybody's aunt on Facebook. <laughs> sorry, I get, I get wound up about this because yeah, biologically no, it, is because
0: it is one species. It's not like we talk about different races of bird. No, the different different species of bird. There's no good analog.
1: Well, well, no, racists will use the analog of breeds of dogs. Yeah, that I definitely didn't want to say that, but um, But that's that is the the analog that racists use.
0: Yeah, we're not but, racists, fortunately. We, yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, the point is, now we are <laughs> Homo sapiens. Now we are everywhere on this planet and let me tell you a little bit about us. Okay. <laughs> Great. First of all, anatomy. So modern humans can generally be characterized by the lighter build of their skeletons compared to earlier humans. And I've talked a little bit about, I think, uh, humans versus Neanderthals. Neanderthals are sort of stocky and beefy, and we are light and gracile and built for speed. (laughs) I'm not, but, you know, (laughs) some people are. Modern humans have very large brains which they use to make podcasts and which vary in size from population to population and between males and females, but the average size is approximately 1,300 cubic centimeters. The reason, we were, so we were talking about the development of the brain. Our brain started to get bigger around Homo habilis and just kept getting bigger and bigger because of a lot of different factors. But making a house for this big brain basically is the reason for the reorganization of the skull into the proportions that we think of as modern. So it's this high vaulted skull, so it's a sort of almost cathedral spherical, skulls. Cathedral skulls. No, it's like a almost spherical skull with a with a near vertical forehead, because if you have a slanty forehead, it's taking up room where the brain wants to go. So you've got a flattened out forehead, relatively flat face. We also really don't have very many heavy brow ridge and and prognathic nose situations that Neanderthals had, so our our faces are pretty flat. And
1: prognathic.
0: Yeah. So prognathism is, we talked about that a little bit, but it's, uh, when you have the front part of the face, so the nose and the upper part of the mouth, uh, pulled forward. So a prognathic face is one where the, the brow is back, but the, the nose and mouth are forward. And then the chin is, goes back. It's like a receding chin. Uh, Yeah. And so Neanderthals have that face shape. And a lot of a lot of the earlier species have that face shape, but we do not. And our jaws are also less developed with smaller teeth because we have uh, diets that involve cooked food and softer things. So how did we get where we are, a.k.a. everywhere on this planet? Hard work. Practice, practice, practice. So there are two major hypotheses about the expansion of the Homo sapiens population, because remember, we started in Africa. These two competing models kind of rose up during the 1980s, and the first one is the recent African origin. So it's basically the emergence of Homo sapiens from a single source population in Africa and then expanded out of Africa and eventually led to the extinction of all of the other flavors of human. There's also the multi-regional hypothesis or model, which is the the survival of regional forms of archaic humans, so pockets of Neanderthals, different things, and then gradually converging into what we now see as modern Homo sapiens by genetic drift and gene flow and selection between Europe and Africa and Asia throughout the Pleistocene, which is the era before what we're in now, the, the Holocene. And so probably it's actually more like a mix of both. So yes, early homo sapiens populations gradually moved out of Africa, and they did occasionally mix with other human populations. But then there was population flow back and forth, different periods of migration, lots of movement back and forth through Africa. And and so... It is probably more accurate to call it a mix of these two models, but it's probably and, something that's just too complex to, to describe with a simple model, and that's the problem with modeling. Right. Generally, those are the trends that genetics and archaeology show are happening, is that there's okay. just movement and, back and forth over time.
1: And the recent African origin, um, so this idea of expansion that leads to the extinction of all other human rights, is that because they like ate all the food? Or they killed them, or they were like tougher, and everybody else got cold. Like, what does that model say? Like, what does that model put forward as the? I think it's extinguishing factor of (laughs) other human varieties. Well, it's
0: that. Regardless of how it happened, regardless of the mechanism, in every instance where Homo sapiens met up with a different population, uh, they were better at getting resources out of their environment, and they were they were better at reproducing, and more successful at reproducing. And so, whether it was direct conflict between populations or just kind of a general swamping of the population, so it might even have been that, you know, for example, a, a human and a Neanderthal population met up and. Sort of interbred and gradually one population was like subsumed into the other one. Um There's probably every time there was a, m- a meeting between Homo sapiens and, and a different population, a different set of things happened.
1: Okay, but the but the difference, it, the big difference, is geography in these two.
0: Yeah, probably okay. geography and chronology and circumstance.
1: I okay. I just imagine like well, there's not just like one thing Homo that sapiens like showing up and like eating everything and everyone <laughs> going oh. That might have happened. Okay, sure. Cool. <laughs> okay. Yeah. What's the type specimen for humans? Oh, we like had we submit. Who did we submit to a uh, big fossil to get <laughs> to get us put written down in the books? Oh,
0: okay, this is another installation from Anna's book of half remembered facts. But I'm pretty sure that Linnaeus offered himself because so, so Homo sapiens was named oh, by gross. Linnaeus, um, <laughs> who is the me. <laughs> He's the scientist who in the 17th 17th century, half remembered. Um, Anyway, Linnaeus developed the system of binomial nomenclature that we use, the Latin names that we use to describe species. And he, I think, wanted himself to be the type specimen. Another one is Edward Drinker Cope. Who is one of the cope and um, he's one of the guys who was engaged in that fossil war that destroyed so the, much. F- the,
1: the one on the dollop, yeah. the bone wars. Yeah, he, was he the was was he the Great Dismal Swamp or no? The, that was like, Marsh. The Playboy. No, he was the okay. Playboy.
0: Marsh. Okay. Marsh was the Great Dismal Swamp because his name was Marsh. Okay. Yeah. So, so, I mean, long story short, we're, we're alluding to a bunch of things. First of all, go listen to the dollop, especially the episode on the bone wars, because it's ridiculous and it will make you want to punch everyone. But we don't have a type specimen. Um, there is, there is no, one human that exemplifies this, all the characteristics of humans.
1: But that's kind of surprising to me because that seems like something that like old timey museum types would love to do. And I
0: think, I think, um, I don't remember if it was Cope. That's where I was going with this. I don't remember if it was Cope, oh. but I think he wanted to be the type specimen, but then he had syphilis or something and like his bones showed evidence of syphilis. And so after he had nominated himself, people were like, yeah, sure. And then they saw his bones and they were like, uh-oh, <laughs> Maybe not that one, <laughs> yeah, but there have been there have been lots of suggestions over the over the years. It's just that no one can agree. Like, I think Arnold Schwarzenegger has been nominated. It's like
1: what well, uh, well, I know this is very fascinating,
0: yeah. well, maybe that's because something... we seem
1: to love putting for a long time. we loved putting humans in museums.
0: Yeah, but not like ones that we would want to like that Be white like, guys would want to like exemplify that race. Yeah. Human. No, it was like Ew. exploited humans in museums. So that's not that's not good. Yeah, we could talk about that a different time. Oh we will. Yeah, we will. Um so long story <laughs> short, we do not have a type specimen, you know, prehistoric us. Uh, Homo sapiens made and used stone tools, but also specialized them. And what you see when you see human tools is you start getting smaller, more complex, refined, and specialized tools. So you get things like composite stone tools, which is like a piece of wood with multiple little points in it to act as like a saw blade. You get things like fish hooks and harpoons. I was thinking
1: like brass knuckles.
0: (laughs) Stone knuckles. <laughs> Someone putting on like a, a well. You flint know, you're gauntlet. out there.
1: You're you're meeting a group of Heidelbergensis. You're not gonna
0: punch them. <laughs> I maybe. No. So composite stone tools are stone tool forms attached to other things to make a more okay. complex tool. <laughs> and you okay. get fish hooks and harpoons and bows and arrows and spear throwers. So atlatls, we talked about atlatls. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You get sewing mm-hmm. needles and you get things like art. And figurative art, which is as in art of people and animals, not like figurative versus literal art. Um, yeah. So, I mean, humans evolved to do all the things that we do. You, you only have to look at populations of humans around you to see what Homo look sapiens is like. Homo sapiens made podcasts.
1: So did Neanderthals.
0: Oh. Nope. I have no jokes. <laughs> I have no jokes.
1: I was hoping I was going to be like, "Thanks for listening."
0: <laughs> we will talk a lot more about different human groups in different times and places. So that's going to do it for this episode and for this series. And we hope you've enjoyed it. We hope you've learned along with us. And we'll be back to oh boy, we'll be back to our regularly scheduled episodes along with some sponsored episodes next week. So thank you for listening. We will be back in your ears soon, and you can put us there via SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or the podcast platform of your choosing.
1: Yeah, and um, if you want to find us over on the Schmeeds, you can follow us on No Facebook one else at- knows
0: what that is. It's only us <laughs> that call it Schmeeds. We, we started calling it social media, and then so Schmeeds, and then Schmeeds. There, now everyone knows our code
1: follow us on facebook at the dirt podcast <laughs> on twitter we're at dirt podcast on instagram we're at the dirt pod yep and you
0: can get in touch with us about your own human stories at the dirt at gmail.com and if you like what we do and if you like things like this series that is geared towards helping intro students or just helping anyone learn more about things like human evolution you can support us on patreon You can become a monthly subscriber or a single-time donor. Either way, we would be extremely grateful. And that is at patreon.com slash thedirtpodcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye.